Robin Caleb Show looks at various theological aspects that relate to our observance for the disciples of the Messiah Yeshua. The Robin Caleb Show is a production of TorahResource.com. Yes, it is a production of TorahResource.com. How's it going, everybody? My name is Caleb Haig. Of course, Rob Van Hoff here with me today. What up? How's it going, man? You know, now we've gotten we've gotten one or two people who have uh, openly told us that they don't appreciate the new intro. And to that, I say, well, I'm sorry, but you're going to have to get over it. Uh, I actually had a different intro completely uh, created and uh, made. It was it was much you, different. Yeah, you, you heard it. I, maybe I someday it you could play it. Maybe not today, but or unless you unless you totally deleted it. Uh, let's see here. Let's see if I deleted it. Well, I thought, you know, we're trying to take a new approach. We're trying to take a new approach to the Robin Caleb show and, and not only the Robin Caleb show, but just our, you know, what Rob and I personally are trying to do in ministry. And, um, you know, we've been, what did my friends say? The heretic hunters. We've been the heretic hunters for long enough. And, uh, and I think that's true. We don't need to, uh, you know, we, we're trying to help. But, you know, if that was a TV show, I'd probably watch it. I'd probably watch it too. But the point <laughs> is, is that, you know, we're, I'm not, I'm not out to get people. I don't want, you know, I don't want people to think like, uh, you know, Caleb Haig is always out trying to prove people wrong. That's not the point. That's never been the point of this show ever. Um, so in the original 2018 season five intro, what I did was I pulled from a lot of people um, who had called in. You want to hear it? Should we should we show people the the what, yeah, what see, was what yeah, was yeah. to be? All right, folks, here you go. Here's the what would have been uh, if if we you know and I I made this whole thing and then we decided you know what this maybe this isn't the you know. The persona that we want to have. Rather, I'd, I'd, I want people to think that we're here to help and not here to uh, drag people down. But this is what we originally had. Hey, give us a call on our comment line. Let us know what you think of the Rob and Caleb show. Rob and Caleb really appreciate the show today, guys. Enjoy your show. I, I appreciate it. Yeah. Shalom. Uh, uh, I check out your, you know, you guys were uh, recommended to me, and uh, I'll check you guys out more and more. You've been saying this stuff for so long, I think you actually believe what you're saying. For people that are all upset, uh, we don't want to get your panties in a bunch. Is this Rob and Caleb? You two guys are idiots. I actually, I listen to that every once in a while. Two of the key areas are theology and scholarship are part of the areas that have been lacking. And so we've pushed weights on that side of the scale to try to challenge them into that direction. And that's about it. That I mean, you know, that's the... Boy, man, I, I like it. It's long. Um, well, I did that specifically to try to give people enough time to get into the chat room. <laughs> We're thinking about you, our, our devoted chat room team. That's right, uh, man. Yeah. yeah. 
But you know what? To be honest with you, I, so and we've had some we've had some comments on our on our recent um, on our recent videos on on YouTube that has made me uh, once again realize and think that we should be doing things that are a little bit different. Now I don't, you know, I think people think that we're just going to completely throw out the Rob and Caleb show and uh, stop, be, you know, stop talking about issues. I, I, that's not, that's not the point. However, I think that it's, uh, you know, we've done these spotty, you know, like uh, we'll talk about this and then this and then this, you know, just for like, like four years. I for mean, four like years, we've done a back catalog. Yeah, like, and, and so the point, yeah. I think, the point is. Oh, I was wondering what that sound was. My heater's still on. Um, the The point is, is that uh, I think that there's a bigger need within the believing community, whether it's Messianic, Hebrew roots, Christian, whatever. People are having a hard time uh, understanding good theology and and what is good theology. How do we study the Bible? All these kind of things. Now, the Robin Caleb show is never going to be able to do that for people. We're never going to sit down. And, you know, you listen to the Robin Caleb show once a week and all of a sudden you're good. You know, like it's like going to church once a week. Like I go to church, I listen to the Robin Caleb show. I'm done. I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> no, that's not, that's never going to be yeah, the point. Our goal is not to be like the substance of your devotional life. You no, know? no. And um, our, our yeah, goal I is. Mean, we could never be that. Yeah. No. And, and you know, <clears throat> I've, I've gleaned a lot from uh, R.C. Sproul. You know, with his passing, I know I was listening to Sprawl before he passed, obviously, and I listen to him almost daily. Uh, they have a fantastic podcast, um, and it really does help, uh, you know, kind of focus the mind in a direction. But you can't just listen to R.C. Sprawl and then be good. In fact, I don't think any podcast can do that for you. Um, but what it can do is help you and give you some tools to... Um, go deeper and further. Now, ultimately, what my goal is, is to um, give get people into a mindset of education is vitally important. Right, right, right. And especially, especially when it comes to spiritual matters. Here's what, Caleb, the, the way I'm hearing, because we, we've gotten feedback, you guys should just keep doing what you're doing and even sharpen it more yep. on the one hand. And the other hand is like, yeah, cool, change things up. And the way I'm hearing it so far, and it, first of all, I'm really appreciative of people's feedback. But on the one hand, I'm hearing, um, why change it? Why, you know, don't uh, you've got some name recognition. They're thinking of it kind of in terms of getting traction out there in the noise of the YouTube world, right? Where it's right. short attention span. Um, people are looking online. They're searching for things. They're, they're in seeker mode. Um, and they need, they need someone who put, whose name is actually there. Like this is the person's name and they're responsible for their opinions and they back up their own opinions. Yep. And you guys already have some street cred <laughs> on that. Trajectory. I don't know about that. <laughs> you should just stick with it for better or for worse, you know, stick with it. Um, someone even suggested changing it to loudmouth and the Hoff, <laughs> like actually pushing it even more. I know who that, uh, I know who that was. Yeah. Yeah. So, so there's that angle. Then the other side is, yeah, you know, back down on the the reactionary, you know, we need watchmen, but, you know, maybe just be more teaching, but more uh, get involved more with scriptural uh, uh, explanation and then have maybe these other things still happen, like respond to an email or, you know, have some flexibility, but rebrand it a little bit. And so I'm in a situation where I've heard voices on both sides with compelling rationale and, um, K 
Caleb and I have talked about this, and we, we don't have anything settled in stone yet, but our goal is being good stewards by God's grace for Yeshua's kingdom and to his glory and to help bring good information, good um, substantive uh, thought and engagement with uh, things that are, you know, that noise that is there out, out there on YouTube from a sound theological orientation that you find in all of Torah Resource. Right. Oh, and, and to me, you know, Torah Resource exists to provide biblically-based education for disciples of Yeshua. And so basically what we're attempting to do is help leaders, help parents, help teachers, help people who are heads of their household, whatever it may be. Mm. We're trying to help get a better handle on education so that they are equipped to be able to then teach whoever it is who's under them, um, you know, and to disciple, to be discipled and then disciple other people. And so my thought process on this is that uh, for the people who, um, for the people who think that we're constantly bashing people, that doesn't help us uh, in terms of the persona that we want to help people. You know, my goal on is, the other hand, though, we're not worried if someone just has a superficial they've watched two seconds of a video clip. Oh, sure. And then they're going to label us as, oh, they're heretic hunters, you know, that we can't control that. And we don't care, you know, if, you know, <laughs> but I'm not going to care about it more than they do. You know? But we've had good people, good brothers and sisters in the Lord who have been critical of of our approach. And I, to me, to me, I don't think that there's anything wrong. You know, Paul what is it, Acts 13, when he calls the Jewish magician uh, a child of Satan? Anyway, um, you know, I, to me, there's nothing wrong with calling out um, some of the the heresies that we see, and I, I don't find anything wrong with that. I think that happens with every ministry, right? Um, I heard R.C. Sproul talk about that in one of the recent po- podcasts. I know James White gets that quite often. There's people in in good ministries that are are constantly told, you know, oh, you should be, you know, you should have a lighter touch. But the point is, is that I think if we simply make some very minor changes to the way that we look at things on the show, I think it'll come across more as a uh, looking at theology as opposed to looking at people. In other words, instead of, you know, we talked about this person today and what they think of, it would be more of we're looking at this issue across the board and what various people say about it. And now let's go to the scriptures and see. It's just, I mean, it's... it's, So it's not that we wouldn't, we're not going to, wait, let me say it this way. It's not that we're going to avoid mentioning names, but we will probably mention, like cite multiple names... If if they all share a particular, I think it's yeah. Kind of but theme. but I think I think more than that, it's if we look at a if we have, you know, and we're going to talk about a, a arcing theme over a long period of time that we've been that Rob and I have been dis- discussing. We're going to get back to this um, a little later. But if we have a theme that we're looking at, you know, basically, I think that a lot of the peripheral things that we're looking at. Um, sacred name issues, Hebrew word picture issues, all these kind of things. They've been discussed, and and now we can take the good hermeneutic that we believe is a good hermeneutic, which is uh, historical grammatical interpretation. We can then apply that 
to theological issues and solid theological issues that, you know, not these peripheral, peripheral issues that are going on, but these solid rock solid issues that we need to be discussing that will actually help people stand on rock when it comes to their basic theology. One of the things that I think about people, um, and this is not this is not a down downer to the Hebrew roots or the Messianic movement. I think across the board, believers, and I've been I've been victim to this as well, is we think that we have a good solid understanding of things because we've been raised in something or because we've you know we've read a, a book or two. But when it comes right down to it, we have a difficult time wading through some of the basic issues of our theological theology and our faith. Uh, my wife has been a great proponent in challenging me to not give stock answers, but to explain fully what I'm what I'm meaning and what I'm saying within my theology. Unfortunately, well, unfortunately for me, my wife is much more intelligent than I am. So she has a... She That's picks, actually good for you. Uh, it is, but it's it's very much challenged me. Uh, she picks things up a lot quicker than I do, and she understands things a lot easier than I do. Um, school for her is very easy. So, I mean, she's like a sponge, you know? She just, she gets it. And I take a lot of time to understand things. So she's really challenged me in, in my theological views. But what it's made me realize is that I've had a lot of stock answers in my life without fully understanding, you know, what those stock answers are are saying and implying. And I think a lot of Christianity and a lot of, you know, a lot of believers, no matter what the movement is that you ascribe to, have those have those issues. And so for me, it's not necessarily, you know, we've talked about a lot of the minutiae the you know that goes along with different movements but in all reality what we need to be focusing on is basic solid theology and we'll see this in the uh, in the comments that we had this past week okay well with all that said thank you very much everybody in the chat room we got a good group in there today and it's always nice to see people chatting away and, uh, of course, as you heard in the beginning, the Rob and Caleb show is brought to you by TorahResource.com. We got a lot of great things going on at Torah Resource right now. We're building a, we're building a library, a digital library that uh, is, it's immense. It's very large. And for those who wanted to hear Rob's uh, lecture on Galatians, um, we will be playing it on Tor Resource Radio. It will be a podcast, which will be featured on our homepage probably in the next week. Cool. And also, if you have a library membership, you can hear it right now. That's right. It's in the library membership section under SBL Lectures. You can go there and take a listen to it already. Um, and that's how, for those who might not know this, our our library membership, if you have a library membership, you get... We put everything into the library, sometimes months before it comes out to the public. So um, it's just one of the perks, not to mention the uh, a lot of teachings that never get released to the public are can be found in the library. So well worth the money. Okay, give us a call. Uh, as you heard in the second intro that we played today, we actually do listen to all of the messages that come through. Uh, 253-465-3205. <clears throat> Pardon me. It's 253-465-3205. And last but not least, we uh, love to get emails from everybody. 
chag at torahresource.com. That's chag at torahresource.com. And we are uh, always excited to see those come through. I share them almost instantly with Rob, and we like to discuss and build our show around what we're hearing from everyone out there. Okay, let's move now to some of our topics. We have a couple of, now for those who receive our show notes, and I should say this, you can go to torresource.com, hover over radio, and then go down to the Rob and Caleb show, click on that, and you can sign up to get show notes. You can also see and listen to all of our past shows on that page. It's uh, a wealth of Rob and Caleb. Um, So uh, if you get our show notes, which you should, then you will already see the links that we have. And this one, I didn't, I had never heard of this until Rob brought it up to me just a couple days ago. And uh, I pulled a different headline than you sent me, Rob. And the headline goes like this. Pope Francis suggests changing the words to the Lord's Prayer. Now, for anyone in the Hebrew roots and Messianic movement, you hear the word Pope and you instantly think heretic and, uh, you know, spawn of Satan or something uh, like this. And maybe I've misread this, uh, Rob, but, and you can correct me here. I, I hate to do this, but I, I'm thinking that the Pope is right in this. And the reason why is because what I understand this uh, article to be saying, and I'll read it here in just a second. What I understand this article to be saying is that the liturgical Lord's Prayer that the Catholic Church says is uh, taken off of the Vulgate. Mm-hmm. And what the Pope, from what I'm, the way I'm reading it, is that the Pope wants to change it to a more literal Greek translation. Let's read the article real quick, and then you can give me your thoughts. So I only have the New York Times article in front of me. So, um, But go ahead and read, read the section that's pertaining to your point. Okay, so this is actually a very short article. This is by NPR. NPR says, Pope Francis isn't pleased with the words of the Lord's Prayer, specifically the part about temptation. In an, inter- in an interview with an Italian TV network, the pontiff said that the current language of the Our Father Prayer is not a good translation. That's a quote. In English, and similarly in Italian, the prayer asks God to lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. But says Francis, isn't uh, it's not the Lord that tempts. But says Francis, it's not the Lord that tempts. It is not he that pushes me into temptation and then sees how I fall, Francis said in Italian. A father does not do this. A father quickly helps those who are provoked into Satan's temptation. Francis pointed out that just a few days ago, Francis's Catholic Church adopted new phrasing in its notar pere. Uh, The first Sunday of Advent, the church wrote, a new translation of Our Father will come into force in all forms of liturgy. The Catholic faithful will no longer say, do not submit to temptation, but do not let us enter into temptation. The way I'm reading it, that's what it says. It says, the, uh, the Catholic faithful will no longer say, quote, do not submit to temptation, end quote, but, quote, do not let us enter into temptation, end quote. So, so presently it's – well, then I, I think I misread the – well, I didn't read the NPR article. So, so tell, me, tell, me what you, tell me what you're reading because it, I, this sounds like it's uh, – Because com- the way, the, way that the New York Times article, and mm-hmm. it's from December 8th, New York Times online, it says this. 
Pope Francis said the common rendering of one line, lead us not into temptation, was, quote, not a good translation. Yeah, that's what I, it said at the beginning he of this says, one, too. He says, do not let us fall into temptation, he suggests, might be better. So, lead us not into temptation, he says, is not a good translation. And do not let us fall into temptation is better. Well, the fact is, fall and lead are completely different verbs. I, so I disagree. I, I completely disagree. But there's, you know, I have my own reasons why. So, the, yeah, when I went to the Greek of this passage, it looked to me like the Greek says, lead us not into temptation. Or, yeah. Or, yeah. Right. That's, I mean, that's, that's actually an accurate translation. The, the thing is, how do we, what do we think we're saying yeah. What does say. that mean? What do you think that okay, means? So that's he, it. That's it. Wait, hang on. Let's let's talk about that for a second. What does it mean when we say lead us not into temptation? Is the Lord? Have le- a, Go ahead. Well, let, let me explain. I, I, I had someone email me this question and I had read the article. I had encountered the article. I did. I wasn't. I was just like, I'm not going to spend time. And then I got an email about it. And I'm like, you know, I'll give it a little more articulate response. I made basic three points. The first uh, pyrismos, that's the word for translated temptation, has has a larger semantic range of meaning in terms of testing and trial as well. So if you if you just looked throughout the apostolic writings for this word, um, for the Greek word pyrismos, you'd see some various, uh, you'd see the range of meaning. But here's another point. Another point is that the prayer is not our prayer is not for God. Our prayer is because because our Father already knows what we need, right? But but we're supposed to search our heart and to ask, and in that process, He's developing our character to know Him and to to be aware of our dependency on Him, right? Yes. And so, my second point is that the prayer educates us concerning our sinful nature, and to be aware of it and vigilant concerning it. And that's parallel, like Mark fourteen thirty eight in the garden. Yeshua says, "Be, vil- be vigilant and prayerful um, concerning trials and temptations." Right. But here's the final thing: is that you'd have to go into the Psalms and change a bunch of Psalms. Here's, for example, Psalm seventy one: "Do not deliver the soul of your turtle dove to the wild beast." So it's metaphor. Of but course. what's he talking about? Do, who's your turtle dove? Do not deliver your soul to the beast. Well, if, to use the Pope's reasoning, I'd say, well, it's not God who's actually going to, it's not like God would deliver the soul of his turtle dove to the wild beast. Um, do not forget the life of your afflicted forever. Well, if we say God don't forget, is it because God will cause us to forget? Here's another, Psalm 140. Do not grant, O Lord, the desires of the wicked. Do not promote his evil device. Psalm 141, do not incline my heart to any evil thing to practice deeds of wickedness. Do not let me eat of their delicacies. Here's Psalm 143, verse 2, do not enter into judgment with your servant, for in you, in your sight, no living man is righteous. So these, the use of the do not something, where that something causes us to think, oh, would God actually lead me into this? Would he actually lead my soul to the wild beast? Would he give me into the desires of the wicked? Would he actually incline my heart to evil? 
why would the psalmist, why would King David pray in a similar phraseology that we see in the Lord's Prayer? So it it does, I, I'm, I'm okay with the question that maybe is behind the Pope's thought on this. It's like, wow, people are always asking, like, what does this mean about God? But the, the response, in my view, is not to change the translation. Yeah, it's a teaching moment. Try, it's yeah, a moment to yeah. say, well, let's look at the scriptures and say, what, what, are, what is prayer for? Yeah. Uh, does God really, uh, when, it, when he hears our prayers, does that mean I'm teaching God something? <laughs> or does, like Yeshua says, clearly, no, he already knows what you need before you ask. Yeah. But he, we're still supposed to pray. So what does that mean? That puts us in a situation where we're the ones that have to change and grow, seeking his will. And that's going to mean seeking wise counsel. It's going to mean being immersed in the word of God and in a, prayer, uh, a prayerful and worship-based uh, life in obedience, right? All these things we have to examine in ourselves as we seek to grow. So Peter uh, in the chat room says, is the Our Father even a prayer or an outline of how to pray? It seems John 17 is a prayer, not Matthew 6. And if you'd like to know, um, uh, Torah Resources actually put out a, a full teaching on uh, this Matthew 6 passage and how it might be an outline. Uh, paralleling this to my father, Tim Hegg, he uh, did a full teaching on this and uh, first looked at how ancient uh, some of the Amidah prayer is and whether or not uh, it's plausible that Yeshua was actually um, trying to settle an argument or uh, establishing his own halakha, that means his own rule, on the order of specific liturgical prayers in the first century. And it is a very good teaching. I have had the pleasure of watching it so Several times since I uh, got to edit it. Okay, let's move but, on. But even if it, yeah, even if it's, let's say you're going to go with the view that it's an outline, mm -hmm. you'd, you're still going to have people ask, well, what does this mean? Does God actually oh, absolutely people temptation? Yeah. And we have to ask God not to do what he's going to do, uh, to do something different. And so I like the moment of teaching about this particular scripture. I just, the way at least I read it in the New York Times article, I'm like, Okay, this is the wrong way to uh, tackle the, the question. Yeah, agreed. Okay, let's move on. That was, uh, uh, yeah, okay. So uh, you wanted to, now I, there's an, another link in your show notes. Once again, if you don't get the show notes, you're really missing out. Go sign up for the show notes if you don't get them already. Um, how, just throw me a guess, uh, Rob. How many people do you think receive our show notes every week? Oh, 37. <laughs> is that your, really, is that your I honest have, guest? I have no idea. Just a, like, well, when you, does that mean you send an email? Do we know if they even open it or not? I mean, that's. Yeah, we track like, it. Oh, how many people read it? A uh, hundred. Well, you cut it in half. How many people receive it? 204 people currently are on our mailing list, which is nothing compared to, I'm sure many others. But to, uh, to me, that blows my mind. Yeah. Oh, okay. God. So you. So this is in your show notes too for those who were for the two hundred and four people who receive it this week. Um, this is from the Jehovah's Witnesses. Now, as every time we bring up um, Seventh Day Adventists or Jehovah Witnesses, people always scream, "Hey, don't down the Jehovah's Witnesses or don't down the the Seventh Day Adventists." And I know they're not the same thing. Please. Right. Right. I know they're not the same thing. But uh, a lot of people have come, I think, out of either Seventh-day Adventists into the Messianic movement or even the JWs into the Messianic movement. So this is not to down anybody, um, but 
Uh, you sent me a link, Rob. Rob did his research this week. <laughs> well, what happened? I was, do, you know, <laughs> we've been talking about uh, at least on, there's been all the Facebook stuff, you know, pertaining to the tetragrammaton and the yes. vowel points of it and all this stuff. And in the midst of that, I thought, you know, I want to see because uh, you know some people are promoting Yehovah as like the pronunciate pronunciation, which is just Jehovah, but they say. You know, like Jerusalem, Yerushalayim, they're just changing the J to a Y and saying that's that sticks, you know. Um, and so I'm like, well, I want to look since there's actually a, an institutional like movement that's been around for about 100 years or so called Jehovah's Witnesses. I was like, you know, they've got publications online. And so they have a Watchtower website. It's wol.jw.org. And sure enough, you can find their articles. Now, I wasn't able to see who actually wrote the articles. This is this is the opposite side, right? This is what I don't want to become, Caleb. And this is like, you know, where there's no no one person is taking responsibility. It's this gobbledygook, like ethereal entity, right? That you don't. Okay, hang on just a sec. I got I got to weigh in on this because this is one of my pet peeves within the Hebrew roots and Messianic movements. If you go to a website. And they say a bunch of stuff and there's no name and you can't figure out who's, who's teaching it, who's preaching it. It is my opinion that most of it is probably dumpster diving off of Wikipedia and other places. If, if a person is really teaching what they believe, they'll put their name on it. And otherwise I don't trust it. Right. And this is why, you know, even if we, if later on, if we change our name, I know what's going to happen. People are going to say, have you heard this? You know, if you check this out and they're like, what's that? You'll say, well, it's Robin Caleb. They're like, oh, and then it'll be like, well, oh, it's those guys, so, <laughs> I'm not listening to them or, oh, okay. I'll listen to them. Why did they change their name? Kind of thing. Anyway, so that's just, okay. Aside from that. So I wanted to see, well, why, what do they say about Jehovah? Right. In their pronunciation. Can I say one more thing about this? Hang on just a sec. Sure. Now, when you have an established institution like the Jehovah's Witnesses or and I, I could choose anyone, you know, the First Baptist Church or, I, you know, what's the, you know, the United Baptist. I don't I, I don't know. United Lutheran or I, who, who knows. OK. But if you have an established like umbrella group like this and they put out a publication like this is JW.org. OK. Jehovah's Witnesses.org. And there's no name on it. Don't you think that that kind of means that it's speaking for all, for the whole group? In other words, if I'm part of, you know, let's make up a pretend group so we don't offend anybody. Uh, Messianic uh, to one Torah believers. Okay, this is the group. This is the umbrella group that I'm under. The you know, and they have a website, and my congregation is part of this this group. And then the website puts out a something on the, the blanket website under articles, there's no name on it at all. Don't, don't you think that this basically is saying this speaks for the entire, if you're, if you are part of this group, well, yeah, this yeah. article speaks for, for you. Well, and let's say you were, let's say you were a Jehovah's witness, uh, like you were a newbie, right? You're at the sure. bottom of the, like the rungs and you start learning things. And then you start questioning doctrine like you go to their website and you read this, you're like, um, you know, is there an avenue for you to like, can I email the guy who wrote this article? Like inside, I don't know, you know, cause I don't, I'm not Jehovah's witness. So, um, but what, what was funny is it just cause we don't need to spend a whole bunch of time on this, but they basically, there's two articles. One is called the divine name 
its use and its meaning. Mm-hmm. The other is the big appendix. It's called A4, the divine name in the Hebrew Scriptures for the uh, New World Translation Study Edition. So these are articles online for free. You can read. You don't have to buy their Bible or anything. Um, and there's just a couple things that stick out. One is that they share some of the arguments of people who are saying you need to say the name. Um, and the idea that when when titles like Adonai or Lord are used, that you're actually replacing God's name and that that's a serious mistake. For example, in the, the Divine Name article, in replacing God's name with titles, Bible translators made a serious mistake. They make God seem remote and impersonal. Okay, so... So this, they they would actually be accusing you know Yeshua and the apostles of doing the same thing, and and so there's um, problems on that front. But on the flip side, what I do appreciate is in these two articles, at least, they do throw a bone to the idea of we don't really know how it's pronounced. So the the way I'm reading, and that I actually feel like there's some integrity to their. That can, is we, can, we, through. can we read that part real quick? They say, yeah, go ahead, many go ahead. claim that the name should not be used because the original way to pronounce it is unknown today. Ancient Hebrew was written without vowels. Therefore, no one today can say for sure exactly how people of Bible times pronounce yod heh However, should this prevent us from using God's name? In Bible times, the name Jesus may have been pronounced Yeshua or possibly Yehoshua. No one can say for certain, yet people the, the world over today use different forms of the name Jesus, pronouncing it in the way it, that it, it that is common in their language. They do not hesitate to use the name just because they do not know its first century pronunciation. Similarly, if you were to travel to a foreign land, you might well find that your own name sounds quite different in another tongue. Hence, uncertainty about the ancient pronunciation of God's name is no reason for not using it. It's an interesting so, argument. So they, what they acknowledge, though, and this is why I'm saying, okay, you know, if someone comes to me with that argument, they're going to say, you know what, I'm going to use Jehovah because they, they'll say, I know it's it's probably not what originally it sounded like, but it's been in the English language for 500 years. People know that it's talking about the God of the Bible, you know, and, and I'm like, okay, well, at least they're consistent and they're not. But that's different than the claim of some that said, you know, we have discovered from ancient manuscripts that this is actually the true pronunciation. And why would you not want to use it? So there is a, a differentiation between these views. If someone says, you know, I just like what it sounds like, and I, I don't know if it's right or not, and I just feel like I want to use it, I'm like, okay, well, I'm, I can't control what another person is going to do. But if they're going to argue this is the way it needs to be pronounced, then is where I, I have an issue. But okay, so here's, but here's the core issue that is just really strange is the idea of how they understand what it means. They basically say that in Hebrew, the name Jehovah comes from a verb that means to become, and a number of scholars feel that it reflects the causal form. I like they, A couple times they use scholars feel <laughs> that, <laughs> which is, is pretty interesting. A feeling is not a modality of, of academic, you know, you know, it, that's feeling is the realm of uh, speculation and conjecture, really. But anyway, uh, let's see here. 
he, where does it say? Doot, 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 doot. Okay. They reveal this word name, reveal an aspect of God's personality, showing that he becomes what is needed in each circumstance. That he becomes what is needed. So they're taking Isn't this it, crazy? Now, now get this here. Let me read from the other side. Uh, he's, they take it to mean, I will become what I choose to become. So Jehovah can become whatever is needed in order to fulfill his purpose. He can cause to happen whatever is required. So, uh, suppose that you could become whatever you wanted to become. Now, then they go on to say, well, in truth, you are, not, you are limited in what you could become. But as you study the Bible, you will be amazed to see how Jehovah becomes whatever is needed in order to fulfill his promises. This, this is, per- is absolute heresy. Well, yeah, not only that, but it's absolute eisegesis. That he be- <laughs> the idea that God will become what he what needs I, yeah. to become to fit some situation, to fit some circumstance, is absolutely heretical. Okay, hang on just a sec. Before I now I know you're on a roll here, but there is a, a, quite a and there needs some clarification in the in the chat room okay. because um, there is some and maybe I have misspoke, but um, somebody says uh, so that we're talking about uh, languages that are that are written without uh, vowels and right. um, and I said well Hebrew is and somebody says all of yod hey vav are not Hebrew vowels. And the answer to that is well all of uh, Yod, they did. They could be uh, used later as, on. They're later on, lexione. they're called mattress lexiones. Yeah, later yeah, on, they they were used have... somewhat as as vowels. But originally, Aleph probably had a sound and was not a, a, a vowel, and Yod was not either. The vowels that you have are the little dots underneath and above the the actual line that you see in the Masoretic text. Those are the vowels. What you're talking about, the Aleph, Yod, Hey, Vav. Um, those are especially in ancient Hebrew were, were consonants. So the answer to the question is no, those are not vowels. And the vowels normally, even today, if you go to Israel um, and you look at like the signs, a person who learns biblical Hebrew out of say the first Hebrew primer or another standard uh, primer, you're going to have trouble if you are resting on the vowels because when you go to Israel, everything is written without vowels. The newspapers are written without vowels. Signs are written without vowels. You mean vowel? What you're talking vowel, about? Vowel points. points. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, so, so vav and hey and yod are used in later Hebrew to in a form to be like vowel points yes. inside a word. So, but even then they, they, they change according to what, what vowel points are, are attached to them. And those vowel points are not put in. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's, you have to know the language it, in modern times. If you get a, a, uh, uh, newspaper in Hebrew, you have to know the language and you have to know it somewhat well to be able to read it because you don't have the vowel points in there. They're not there. And the same happens in Aramaic. And I think Akkadian, but I could be wrong about that. Anyway, okay. Um, so, so, But the idea here is that, that, that God becomes what is needed in each circumstance. So that God is a shapeshifter, right? Because the analogy is, imagine... Uh, which one was that? That was in the divine name. Suppose you could become whatever you wanted to become. 
like you to help your friend, you could become a doctor if he's sick, right? It uses these kinds of examples. You, or if you someone needed money, you could become a, a rich person. Okay, so, <laughs> but they're saying, but you can't do that because you're limited. But God can shapeshift. He can like instant. Like it reminds me of the movie Aladdin, <laughs> like where like the genie is like, boom, boom. Like God, this is so bad because a it means that God. And this touches on uh, someone posted on Facebook, Lois did, about uh, open theism and this idea that God, that the future is uncertain and that God has has freedom, man has freedom, and somehow together there's this uncertainty about the future from God's perspective. So it's open. Like the idea of God is that – and what we need to remember is that in Scripture, we have to accept Scripture. Scripture's definition of God and not try to make him in our image. That's a, I think everybody would agree with that. Well, I don't know if what, I mean, uh, they're trying, the Jehovah's Witness website here with these articles, they're trying to exegete the name to mean something, and then they're using that to, to teach about God. But right. the scriptures themselves well, don't do that. The, the, one thing, uh, the one thing that we have uh, God saying is, go and tell them, I am has sent you, right? right. And then um, there's been a hypothesis, whether or not this, you know, that obviously the yod heh comes from the word um, yahi, right? or, yeah, yeah, to be, right? Right, the verb to be. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, this is, I mean, you, you've hit the nail on the head, Rob. And, and I think that this also opens up the possibility, um, this article by the Jehovah's Witness also um, opens up the possibility of um, uh, modalism. And, um, you know, the idea that Yeshua is just a mode. God changed to Yeshua to be a mode of God. Um, I but, don't understand how they could have any discernment. I mean, how how are you going to build any kind of coherent theological um, worldview in alignment with with the scriptures? If your if your picture is that God will just become whatever uh, you know He can become whatever He wants to become in order to fulfill His purpose, it's just no. He is unchanging. He is, <laughs> you know. The closest we get to him talking about his own name is in Exodus 3, of course, right? Yeah, I, yeah, right. I, share, yeah, I will be what, what I, will I will be. be. Yeah. But it's not it, – it, it, the emphasis is is his sovereignty. Like, And then in the second giving of the Ten Commandments in Exodus 33 and 34, he says, I will have mercy upon whom I will have mercy. Yeah. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Yeah. In other words, his sovereignty, that he, he – decides, right? That is the core issue. But the question, and this is where it ties in a little bit to open theism, would we say, is God free? Well, if I'm in a covenant, I can be in a covenant and still be free, right? I mean, it, freedom is a is not a value that exists independent of any kind of larger system of meaning or constraint or right. right there's there's order in chaos really right there's you can have freedom in order 
but what it seems like some of these people are saying is that like freedom is like I'm I don't have any constraints whatsoever, right? That like I am just free to do I'm just like totally free. Well, it's it's this vague like what do you mean? Like you don't have to listen to anybody, like you're making up your own rules, like like can you just jump up in the air and just stay and not come back down? I mean, I've, like how I've, free are you? Really? I've had I've had personal experience with this in the past week and I don't want to get into it, but yeah, the idea of uh, even, you know, um, antinomianism or the idea that uh, there is no law, but the spirit guides us. You know, what does that mean? What kind of freedom to, you know, when a Christian says I'm free from the law, what is, uh, you know, the implications of what they're saying is much deeper than just saying I'm not bound by the mosaic uh, festivals or the kosher laws. Okay, this has been a great discussion, but I, we, we've, we've got to wrap it up here because uh, I, I, w- I want to get to the last thing that we're going to talk about today. And um, this is important because as those who listen on a regular basis know, we've been talking about how Rob and I have discussed changing certain aspects of our show and um, what we want to do uh, to uh, basically be more helpful as opposed to um, what people have seen, some people have seen us as, which is um, trying to, you know, root out heresy all the time. And that's not exactly what we're trying to do at all. Um, so we got some comments on our last, on our last videos, um, and two of them specifically, the first one I've shared with Rob, the second one I haven't. And I thought it was just so ironic, the second one, but here's the first one. The first one says, um, and so last week for those who missed it, we talked about, uh, somebody sent in a, a text message to me, um, asking about whether or not. Yeshua was actually yod heh vav And so we discussed a little bit about, um, you know, how yod heh vav created the heavens and the earth, and then how John, in for in John 1, he talks about Yeshua, beside, outside of Yeshua, nothing was created. So um, he essentially ties Yeshua and yod heh vav as one, okay? Um, and this person writes in, by the way, that well, I'm not even going to tell you what link they gave us, but anyway, um, this person writes in, they say, this video makes absolutely no sense whatsoever, and is pure blasphemy. Sorry for being harsh. Yeshua prayed to the Father, and he could not have done that unless he has a human spirit. Not divine, not deity. I mean, there's so many problems with this already, this person. Anyway. Are you saying God prays to himself and that Yeshua had no created human spirit? Created human spirit? I mean, doesn't the Bible clearly teach that Yeshua's spirit is the Holy Spirit? Anyway. This person says, please wake up. This is a very serious error. Yeshua had the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in every unique and powerful way, but that does not make him yod heh vav also. You could not answer your son because your son proved to you that you are on false doctrine. Good job to your son. Well, maybe you didn't hear the end of that story with my son. Um, but my the interesting th- thing is, is that unlike... Uh, many adults, my son doesn't have a problem understanding that uh, yod heh vav is both the father and the son. He just accepts it. He just says, yeah, okay. No problem. Um, it, much like the Bible does, right? The Bible clearly paints Yeshua as yod heh vav and clearly paints the father as yod heh vav and clearly paints the Holy Spirit as yod heh vav All three the same, but all three distinct. And there's no need to explain it. 
anyway, what this did was this made me realize that just the basic, you know, one of the things that I feel is going on within a lot of the different movements today, whether it's Hebrew roots, Messianic, uh, and this isn't across the board by any stretch of the imagination, so please don't don't get offended by this, but a lot of what we're seeing is an un, a misunderstanding of who Yeshua is and how he affects salvation. Um, and this, so we used to have our friend Minim for Yeshua, remember? Mm-hmm. And uh, he's gone back and forth with us on many things. Well, he has changed his name to... Uh, on on YouTube, and now it's and this is so ironic. Should I read his? I should read his thing first, and then I'll tell you his new name on YouTube. How do you know it's the na- same guy? It just is. It's the same picture. You know, it's the same guy. Um, oh, and okay. and and because of the way that he, you know, he's he says I'm, you know, I've disagreed with you on this, blah blah blah. So he says, oh, by the way, he says, by the way, I am a biblical Unitarian. I believe in biblical inerrancy, but I'm not easily convinced that the Trinity is genuinely taught in the Scriptures. I am not that convinced that Yeshua had to be God to be our atonement. If he is already sinless and totally innocent, yet slain to- totally unjustly by the worldly authorities. Second, Adam reversed the fall. Reverse the fall that the first created Adam started. He's talking about Yeshua. Yeshua is Mashiach and the true vine and Emmanuel, Emmanuel, interpreted rightly, I mean. And if the father declares him sufficient as the lamb slain for the, for the world's sin, who am I to either doubt it or to make a theological cr- uh, crutch for it? His new name on YouTube is Disciple of Emmanuel. M- Emmanuel means God with us. Mm-hmm. And so uh, for, for this person to now say, well, I don't believe Yeshua had to be God, yet his na- the name that he has chosen on YouTube is Disciple of God with us. I mean, it, isn't it ironic? Um, but this also shows a lack of understanding of how the Messiah affected salvation. And these are, these are not small issues. They're huge issues, core doctrinal issues. And what I think has happened is that a lot of um, the nonsense out there is pulling the focus from teachers and from even the people um, sitting in the pews and whatnot. It's pulling the focus off of what really matters. And what really matters is good theological doctrine, like who the Messiah is. These are things that are very important. And so, um, I think it's important for us to so, so start with, at the beginning. With, so, just to recap, the idea is, this person, this earlier person would argue, is that Yeshua is, he's all man and only a man. I guess. Right? He, but then well, he never sinned? Well, they gave us a link to Itzhak Shapira and the Ain Sof. <laughs> so, oh my goodness. Actually, I, I, to, let me correct that. It wasn't Itzhak Shapira. It was uh, his teaching partner at that school. You know who I'm talking about, the guy up in Toronto. Oh, yeah. So they're imposing <laughs> later so, rabbinic. Yeah, much mysticism, later rabbinic. Which is actually influenced by Islam, like Sufism and in the Middle, Middle Ages. So you've got a blend of Islamic and medieval Christian uh, kind of mysticism, and then you've got the Jewish side of that conversation, which is like a thousand years late and a million dollars short, you know. 
Um, First Kings eight forty six says, "Ki ein adam asher lo There is not a man who does not sin. So if Yeshua is only a man, then he would. Then how do you? How would they explain that? I wonder. Did you? Maybe they say that Yeshua sinned. Well, it shows a, a understanding, a misunderstanding of uh, of the virgin birth, <laughs> right? Well, maybe they say that that's not even true. You know, well, I mean, I, I don't want to chase these guys down and try to. But, but you know. my point is this: is that we should, you know, let's change when we say when I say change focus of of the Robin Caleb show. I'm not suggesting that we no longer talk about things. I'm saying that we change the focus of of the peripheral. Who cares? You know, okay, you want to say Yahoshua instead of Yeshua. You know, you want to, you know, you want to say Yahweh when you're when you're praying. Whatever, man. Like, is this going to affect salvation? In my opinion, no, it's not going to affect salvation in any way, shape, or form. Is Yeshua being deity and believing that he is God Almighty? Does that affect salvation? Yes. Yes, it does. And the reason why is because if you are, if you, no one comes to the Father but through me. And if you, if you don't believe, if you believe that Yeshua is just an agent, that he's not God, that he hasn't affected, that he, that he hasn't affected salvation in the correct way, guess what? You're not believing in the true divine God. You are denying the basic truths of salvation. These are the things that really matter. These are the things that, uh, you know, that we need to be clear about in what we're saying. And I don't really care, you know, to be honest with you, I don't really care what the people are going to say in response to, oh, well, these guys are wrong because if we're teaching good, solid biblical doctrine and people are hearing it, that in my mind is helping people come closer to the truth and search their Bibles out in the right way. And that's what I want to do. I want to help people come closer to God. I want, you know, I've, I've found a very strong personal relationship, covenantal personal relationship with Yeshua. And I think that believers should have that. And there's a way to obtain that. And it's not, you know, it's through study of the word. It's through prayer. It's through coming close to uh, first. It's the Messiah, right? The Messiah pulls us to him. It's his living person. That's the thing is we have to remember that it's not like Yeshua is not like he's on a shelf, like an idea, right? Yeshua is, you know, he is hundred percent man and hundred percent God. Yeah. Right. And, and he lives eternally. He ever lives in both inter- directions and intercedes for his people. Right. In both directions. I wasn't going to bring this up, but, uh, but, but he, anyway. he draws our hearts to him, you know, yeah. or the father draws us to him. Right. Through him, right? His sheep hear his voice. If you if you have a different starting point, then you're going to end up in the realm of all the sectarianism and all the denominationalism. Um, if if your starting point is exegetical, in other words, if you if you're going to start with the idea that I'm going to read the scripture and then I'm going to decide for myself whether or not I believe the gospel. That is a that is a a real slippery place to be, real slippery slope. And that's not uh, that's not how Yeshua. Uh, now, not to say that Yeshua won't open people's eyes to the scripture, but Saul of Tarsus knew the scriptures, right? 
Yeah. So did the so did Caiaphas. So did Nicodemus, right? These people they knew the scriptures, right? But how come how come some of them rejected Yeshua and some of them totally believed? It's not a function. Their their faith was not a function of how well they studied the scripture. Otherwise, Paul of Tarsus, Saul of Tarsus would have recognized Yeshua right away. Jacob, I have loved. Esau, I have hated. That makes me shudder every time I think about it. Malachi, Malachi, yeah. And so, <laughs> when I love the phrase Paul uses, in Christo, or in Messiah. If you are in Messiah, you are a new creation. Why are you a new creation? Are you a new, did God just make a new little thing and put it on a shelf? No, it's because the life that you have in you is connects you, right? You are now participating in the resurrection life of Yeshua because that's who he is. That's who he is right now. And any other uh, pursuit in this world to, to gratify some other, you know, whim of the flesh, that's, that's going to be pruned off. That is no, that is no place in, in his kingdom. So what is required is, you know, our death, Really, I mean, ultimately, it's we, we, like Paul says in Galatians, we're crucified with the Messiah. You know, that the, the, the old man and this every day, like Yeshua says, you know, if you're going to following me, you, you're going to pick up your cross every day and follow me. There's a, a you're going to die. You're going to grow in your discernment because as you realize your dependency on him, the gravity of sin generally and the gravity of your own sin, and, and they both grow together. And my that's my opinion, and that's my experience. The the that's why the doctrines of grace are so uh, important, and it's such a, a beautiful, concise expression of core biblical truth. You know, we had someone email us, and it was really sweet. You know, ask you know, new to your show. Just been listening, but I really, you know, it's upsetting to hear about Cal- that you guys are Calvinist. It's upsetting to me. Um, I just am more in the line of Wells, uh, John Wesley and Spurgeon. <laughs> and I was like, um, okay, well, I'm glad you're reading Spurgeon. Maybe you yeah, haven't encountered yeah. any of his uh, any of his teachings concerning election. Strong but, Calvinist. But, but when you get there, you'll see actually that Spurgeon and Torah Resource are really close, and John Wellesley in this regard will be on the other side. So um, so what I see with that, Caleb, is that there's people out there who are engaged. They're looking on the Internet. They're finding yeah. resources. They're studying things out, and they've got tenacity, which is great. They've, they understand uh, the scriptures. They've, I believe they're new creations, but they're in this little growth stage, right? And And— they, uh, Baruch Hashem, along their way, they're encountering us, and I hope that there's something that they're able to extract in their studies from what we're doing that will be helpful and and bring clarity and like some relief, like spiritual relief. Yeah, I mean, think about this: if you is it all? It would feel like it's such all on me. Like, oh no, if I do it wrong, if I mess up, I could lose everything. I could lose my salvation if I mess up, right? The, if I, it, it, I, I, I mean, if sorry, we're really, we're, if, we're, going, yeah, we're, we're on a huge rabbit trail, but that's fine. If you're really going to talk about, um, 
if you're really going to talk about the doctrines of grace, one of the things that I think the, those who hold the free will have not, you know, I guess that there's what age of accountability, and this is how a lot of the Arminian, those who hold Arminian theology would get around this, but the idea of if we choose, if it's free will, then what about children who die in the womb or what about children who die as infants? They haven't had the knowledge or the ability to choose, right? What the doctrines of grace say is that God has chosen and therefore the child that dies in the womb or the child that dies young is a can be a child of God because God has chosen. And if it is God's will, he can choose every child who has died before a specific age. That's up to him. Anyway, this is um, this is off of the beaten path a little bit, and the uh, <laughs> the chat room is having a very very lively discussion with a Mister Durbin. Deals Durbin is uh, suggesting that Paul. Um, oh well, actually, uh, okay, I'm going to weigh in on this because I, I think that it's uh, this is a very interesting. Um, so. Uh, this person is is suggesting that Paul broke the Torah, and of course Paul did break the Torah. Uh, he he actually a, says he was the great one of the greatest sinners. Yeah, of course. So there's no doubt about that. But um, and, and not only that, but he's not divine, so we would expect that of course Paul is a sinner and would break the Torah. Um, but this person says that uh, Paul was required to go three times a year. That's what Deuteronomy six sixteen commands. That's true. However, if you look at the, uh, the text of Deuteronomy, what does it say? When you come into the land, right? And uh, we know that, that in the first century, those who lived within the land of Israel uh, went on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. At least once a year they did, but most of them went up three times a year. For the people who were outside of the land of Israel, they did not make the uh, pilgrimage, and a lot of uh, modern scholars believe that the uh, pilgrimage up to uh, Jerusalem was seen for people outside of the land of Israel to be fulfilled if you went once in your lifetime. Now, whether or not that's true or not, but we know that Paul certainly uh, believed that it pertained to the land because he is outside of the land for three years. Then he goes to Jerusalem, right? Then he's outside of the land for 13 years and he comes back to Jerusalem, right? But the idea that uh, this is the breaking of Torah, uh, whether or not it was cultural or whether or not God actually saw this as breaking the Torah, this certainly could be debated, but uh, it could also be debated from the text itself within Deuteronomy. It says when you come into the land, and if and if Paul was outside of the land, he probably uh, believed that this then was not uh, a binding command. That's how I see yeah. it. And, and there's... Um, there's a lot of other things going on in the first century that we can see the, uh, the economics of the situation had been kind of infiltrated, just like you see it. There are poor, there are people who are destitute. There are people who are barely scraping by a living. You have the rise of sectarianism. You have a number of factors that even if someone lived in the land, it's very, very likely that unless you had money, then you probably wouldn't be able to go. Um, just, just because you're trying, to, you're on a subsistence living. You're, I mean, and and that's because the whole nation is not keeping God's law. 
In other words, here, for example, here, here's an example. If the whole nation, let's just go to Deals here, who's totally off base, by the way. <laughs> this Deals Durbin doesn't know, if, I don't know if it's a male or a female. Here's the thing. The whole nation was not keeping tithes as a nation. The, the, the land was not where it was supposed to be. In other words, the land had shifted from, from uh, uh, ancestral properties. You had the division of the land into Judea and Samaria, Galilee. This was not outlined in the scripture. We could and, also, and we when could, you we could, don't have, when you don't have proper uh, Shemitah and tithing and the land getting its Sabbaths as a whole nation, the whole system now is, is get sick. It's like the whole body gets sick and you can't get, um, you to just pick one person and say, Oh, that one person didn't do what Deuteronomy 16 says. Therefore they were a transgressor. You would you have to say all of Israel were transgressors. You have to say that the high priest himself was a transgressor. You have to say, and they were, <laughs> yeah. But but, and, that, and but for, this for is numerous reasons. Not th- just not be, it's not just picking out this this pilgrimage but, idea. But here's the you, thing: you're seeing it, a system where it's all in decay. It's but, all in decay. That's why Yeshua says not one stone's left on another because judgment's coming. The whole body I, is sick. I think what I think what uh, Deals Durbin is is missing is that we are not preaching or teaching salvation by Torah. There's one way to be justified. That is that you are called, and you are justified by God, not of a work of your own. There's I'm a Calvinist, not in terms of replacement theology, but I am a Calvinist in the doctrines of grace. God does this, not me. And so uh, the idea that Paul had to keep every ounce of the Torah, no, Yeshua had to keep every ounce of the Torah. Paul did not. It's true. Like, for example, someone said, or deals it is here, Paul claimed to study under Gamaliel. He had money. I, yeah, I would agree. Paul had money. So did the rich young ruler who talked to Yeshua himself. Paul, re- Paul, Paul was rejecting what was true. Okay, so his whole heart was rejecting what is true, even though he's well studied. This it's a it's a beautiful picture, and it's it's so relevant to our own day that Paul, in all his learning and his zeal, was absolutely wrong, and he he was a hypocrite. But he didn't see it. He was so immersed in it, he didn't see his own hypocrisy. So when he understands then who Yeshua is, it's now about he. Paul knows the temple is not going to be there for long. Paul, Paul, and Paul is on mission traveling outside the land. So you, you, I, I think it's totally misguided uh, that um, what is the name deals. Yeah, I think that I think that's a a, a total miss. Uh, it's, it's trying to leverage. It's like you're trying to climb a hill and you you see this little thing that you think is a crack and you're going to try to to hang on to it and hold, uh, use it to hold your weight. It's, it's not going to work. We've, uh, we've totally uh, gone a, a astray from what was going to be our main topic today. And, and that's not a problem. <laughs> Actually, it's, it's, uh, it's something that's good and something that we are going to be able to do from time to time. We have no problem with that. Next week, what I want to do is I want to start looking at some of the, some of the uh, uh, beginnings of core doctrine 
And uh, we'll do that by looking at some of the prophecies of the Messiah and what the Messiah was going to do and what he was going to be. And uh, then from there, we're going to move on to uh, the Messiah and the uh, expectation of the first century what they were expecting of a Messiah and things like that. Finally, we will then look at, uh, and at some point I would really like to do a study with you, Rob, uh, on air of the angel of the Lord. And uh, I know that there's a, a debate among uh, among not only, I mean, it's everywhere, evangelicals, uh, messianic, Hebrew roots, it doesn't matter whether or not the angel of the Lord is in fact uh, Yeshua, pre-incarnate Yeshua, um, so on and so forth. So we have we have a lot that we can study, but I think that these all go to the core issue of who the Messiah would be, what work he would do, how he affects salvation. And if people disagree with us on this, that's fine. Uh, you can disagree all you want. But I think it's important for us to uh, talk about these core doctrines so that those who are uh, maybe not as uh, knowledgeable or haven't studied as much on these things can uh, start somewhere. Um, start with some some good scripture and some good references. So um, I thank uh, everyone who's in the chat room. It's been a very lively discussion today, and we always appreciate lively discussions. Sorry if we didn't make it all the way through our show notes or to our main topic. Um, but you know what? That's okay. We had fun anyway, right? Um, don't forget to give us a call. You can call us at 253 465 3205. I'll give it to you one more time. Get your pen ready. It's 253-465-3205. And of course, always send us emails. We love to get emails from everyone who listens. Chegg, that's C-H-E-G-G at TorahResource.com. It's Chegg at TorahResource.com. And we hope that the uh, changes that we are thinking of and, and that we want to make will not only make for a uh, good listening but we'll also encourage people to get some uh, deeper education and to dive further into the word. But most of all, that it'll help people to glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua, the Messiah. <laughs>